I'm Piercy Janwell, and you're listening to Unsubscribed. Every episode, I sit down with business leaders to help you question everything you thought you knew about marketing. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Now, on to this week's episode. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by Melissa McCready on the podcast. Um, Melissa is a 20-year veteran with CRM and marketing automation experience. She's the founder of Navigate Consulting Group, which she's run for over 17 years, uh, which is incredible. Uh, She has an amazing, diverse perspective, having been both on the client and the consulting side of things. And most recently became the president of the Growth Ops community, formerly MoCA, based out of Silicon Valley. Thanks for joining us today, Melissa. Are you ready to get started? Thanks for having me, Pearson. Absolutely. Let's hop to it. Awesome. Uh, So give me a little background on how you got into this world of sales and marketing ops. And then maybe give me your definition of this new growth ops uh, and why you think that's kind of the next big thing. I don't have a traditional path because the technology wasn't there when I showed up many, many years ago. So when I started out, um, I was doing roles. Interestingly enough, thought I was going to be an attorney and I was working in databases and doing a lot of programming for templates, you had no idea I was good at it. No idea. And then people were like, wait, you're, you're kind of good at this. So I kept kind of doing that. And I just didn't realize that it was a career yet because there weren't paths for these things. So I tried out different things coming out of um, being a paralegal, going in and working in sales and AP and marketing and customer success, just tried out a whole bunch of stuff. And I was working as a sales rep and I was using sales logics at the time uh, with ADP and was just killing it. People were going, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm using the database. And so they were doing an audit with another consulting firm that was focused on Siebel. And they, this company had come in and I met them. And then of course I had a conversation with them offline. They said, you really need to come over this. You, you, you really like, this is, this makes sense. So that was my first step into CRM. And at that time, it was Act Databases and Sales Logics, and Siebel was brand new. So I was the first year into it just going, wow, this stuff's really cool. But I'm in Illinois. So I grew up northwest suburbs of Chicago, and that area was still shelfware with SAP. So somebody had said, well, have you thought to go to Silicon Valley? No, not really. Well, have you thought to go anywhere outside of Chicago? No, I didn't. And then I went, well, maybe I should think about that. So I started looking for these roles as a business analyst in CRM. And lo and behold, um, I ended up in Silicon Valley and working for a Siebel systems integrator. Funny enough, I was such a nerd about it. I moved right next door to Siebel. I could look out my window and see their building. Um, And so during that time, Silicon Valley was very interesting. There was just... It was very funny. There was all these battles between Oracle and PeopleSoft and Siebel. And so nonetheless, um, then cloud came online, right? Everyone's like, what is this? What's going on here? And that's when we started seeing Salesforce come in and they were really focused on kind of smaller businesses. So Siebel um, 
was in a world of hurt when they came out because they knew Salesforce knew that they could do enterprise, but they could do it at a fraction of the cost that Siebel could. And so I hopped on board at that point in time. That was when, when Salesforce was just getting started and worked in different roles using Salesforce. Marketing automation wasn't quite there yet. Um, you know, even email marketing wasn't even quite there yet. Interestingly enough, I'm sure you remember those days, Pierce. So watching all of this stuff, um, for me on my career path, it would get put in front of me. And I think that's still the case today with any marketer. Um, and anybody who works in an operational role is that the tools just get laid in front of you. And it's kind of like, I like to explain it to people like dance, dance, you get people, they learn choreography very quickly because they've done it over and over. It's the same thing with technology is that you do it over and over and you learn it and you pick it up way faster than other people because you've been doing it for so long. So I tend to gravitate toward the ones that were easy to use or they had a lot of power like Marketo and Eloqua back in the day before they were, you know, Adobe and Oracle respectively. So coming up, um, doing all of this, it just kind of naturally happened. And I had that trigger event, which most people do have in consulting. I don't think you ever come in and say right out of the gate, I'm going to be a consultant, right? You don't, you kind of grow into that. You kind of figure that out for yourself. And for me, it was I was pregnant, having my first child, and wasn't sure how I was going to be like navigating everything. Hence, the word navigate came up. There's the name of my consulting firm, and off I went. And during my time consulting, um, because I've had touched all these tools, basically all of us were getting started. So um, one of the biggest projects that I did earlier on, which was probably back in like 2005, it started, was implementing Salesforce at Plantronics, doing a global big bang approach. Aperio was just getting started at that time, right? So um, many of the marketing automation consulting firms, like none of that existed quite yet even. So it's crazy to think like how far um, things have come since I've started. And as far as consulting goes, you know, it really was what I love about consulting is this. Um, I love that I get to do a lot of different things with a lot of different people and a lot of different types of organizations because you learn very quickly what works and what doesn't because you're exposed to different scenarios at a lot more rapid pace than you are working in-house. And I know that because I've also worked in-house. And working in-house, you get to go deeper. So there's a little bit of a benefit there um, I should say a lot of a benefit there that you get to go deep into your implementations that you don't necessarily get to do because there's a handoff point when you're a consultant. So going deep is into, you know, one of the more recent projects was setting up um, a customer master database with Snowflake and Marketo and Salesforce. And Pierce was there helping me through some of this as well, which was awesome. Um, but as far as going deep, I never would get necessarily to do that project from, from start to finish. I was there at that company when they put in Marketo. I was there when they put in Snowflake. And I was there all that time in between, um, leading and guiding how we were doing these projects. So that type of experience is amazing as well. But that's also not something that you get at every company either, because it all depends on budget and leadership and what they're going to give you, you know, the reins to do unfortunate Lee, for me, I was able to do a lot at that last one. So, so I, have a, um, I have a few questions from that. I mean, mm -hmm. going all the way back to when you were getting started, you figured out that you were really good at databases, it sounds like. Like, 
People yeah. told me that. I didn't believe them. Yeah. <laughs> Imposter it syndrome. Just, it just kind of made sense to you in your mind? Or like, what do you think uh, gave I don't, you that experience or that skill set to be good at that? I think a lot of it was. So um, as a paralegal, there's a lot of database management that goes on with contract management and managing that whole process. Um, as well as then going into sales and running through sales databases, going into accounting, understanding that accounting, again, is another database, right? There's all these different databases that go across pretty much every function of a business. And in touching those, I just, I liked it. I don't, I don't know why. And people were like, you like doing that stuff? Are you crazy? And I really did. I like doing the reporting. I like doing kind of the analysis on the data as well as just saying like, hey, this data is going in dirty. We need to fix it, right? Yeah. It just, it naturally happened and, and it kind of defined itself for me. But are you a very organized person as well? Yes. So what's interesting about me is my organization doesn't make sense to a lot of people. <laughs> so my idea of organization to other people's are, uh, are a little bit different. So I am organized in the sense of how I utilize my time and how I focus things more so than like, it, yes, I've been going through and doing the home Marie Kondo thing with my drawers and stuff during COVID. It's been great. It's been, it's been amazing. But for me, organization is about organizing my time so that I can fit in the most amount of things as possible. And Pierce, you know me well enough that I'm always have my hands on a lot of things at once. And People say, well, you don't focus if you do. Well, as a matter of fact, I focus better when I have more on my plate because it forces me to the deadlines and it forces me to get things done. So I, I tend to be very organized in thought where if I'm working on a project, I know already these are the things that I have to do. And I'll, I'm the first person that steps up and goes, let me put a punch list together for that. Here are all the things that need to be done to get to the end result of that. And I'm very organized that way and just staying on a cadence to get things done so that, you know, what is happening is happening on time. And I think that that's a very different person than somebody who's organized where they're really good and their clothes are folded really well. I'm organized from a process perspective more so than I am organized in just like something physical. <laughs> and it's not that my house is a disaster because it's not, it's, but uh, my standards are pretty high for that too. It's interesting because the people that we've been talking to, it seems like who have been really successful in their careers, it seems like they've actually managed to blend like what they're good at um, with a passion, which I think is what yeah. sounds like you have. Now you talked about moving from where you where you were in Illinois to Silicon Valley. Like that's a huge decision. How did you how did you make that decision? The decision was a little bit made for me. I had um, some trials and tribulations at the last employer that I was employed by in Illinois, some really nasty stuff I won't get into, but um, it set me off to say, I need to get out of here and I need to find another job. And within a week, I had secured interviews, one in New York, two in LA, two in Silicon Valley. And my first trip was down to LA and um, 
both those jobs I had offers on. I drove up the coast. I had no idea like how far, by the way, LA was from San Francisco. So that was a learning experience, but it was a beautiful drive at the same time. It only took me like 12 hours, but we won't go to there. Um, so then I, I was offered a job on the spot when I got to Silicon Valley. And I didn't even bother going to a second interview because the team of people were amazing. They were thought leaders. They were cutting edge. So these were folks that were on the Scopus team before Salesforce. They were the ones who really started up you know, the whole CRM space. They were a part of that group. So to work for these people, I'm, I was very impressed by that. And I think anybody would be that understood the, the power of these tools because they created this whole new market. They created the CRM market, Scopus did, and then they just became, got bought out by Siebel and that's how Siebel came about. So you think about that and you're like, wow, it's pretty, pretty crazy. But decision was made for me and it just um, made a lot of sense where I was in life. You know, I, I was not married. I didn't have kids. It was much easier to make the jump than it would be, you know, today with being married and having kids and, you know, kind of having a, uh, a home established. So that's a very different time I to make that decision. And yeah. I, I find that that's such a huge thing that I was kind of in the same boat where when I started my two companies, I didn't have, um, I was in a much better or easier position to take the risk, you know, like when you're younger right? and you don't have so many commitments, it's much easier yeah. to take the risk. Not to say you can't later, but I don't know. I just feel like they're pro I don't know if I would have done the same thing if I had so much responsibility like I do today. Yeah, and I'll tell you because I made the jump from Silicon Valley and moved down to Southern California about three and a half years ago. And that was a really big decision, but the stars aligned on that one. I was working at a company that at that time was really great. Um, I had people coming with me who were a part of my dream team, uh, making the move with me, which was fantastic. Um, the place is just absolutely beautiful where I live, you know, being five minutes from the ocean and the weather is perfect. And the whole move was paid for. Um, and then we had to align with my husband's job, right? And that worked out. So there were a lot of things that had aligned for that to happen. And it was not easy. It literally was just, there was a lot of luck in that situation. There yeah. really was. And I would have definitely not taken the same path had I had kids and a family and, you know, had maybe even a different makeup of like my family, my, my immediate family before my husband and children came in. I think those things all were the things that were top for playing into it. It really came down to, you know, is this the best move to make for my family? And, and when you're younger, as you absolutely nailed it, is that those commitments are just, they're difficult because you're asking everybody else to take the risk with you when you do that. So I think it's make sure to keep that in mind because the, at the end of the day, the people who are around you and love and support you are the most important people. Um, and if you're going to go and put your career ahead of that, you can do that and be very successful, but there are a lot of trade-offs in doing that. And I don't think as many, um, are as good as they aren't. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, and it's funny, actually, I start, you, you mentioned that you started your first company when you were having your first child, I started knack when I was having my first one. So I wonder if there's something here that's like 
Take all you can. There's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's like birthing a child twice when you do that practically, I swear. I mean, not physically, but like emotionally, just a different set of emotions you're tapping into. But I also think out of necessity, right? Because you now you're thinking about ahead, right? What do I want to do in the next five years? What do I want to do in the next 10 years? Do I want to be doing what I am today? What kind of controls do I want over that? Where am I willing to be flexible, right? And for me, having a child meant that, guess what? That's a child as a mother. It's a different role than a father. And that's just how it is. Or a partner that somebody may have. Like there's usually a primary caregiver and, and typically it's the mother. Um, so with that, I had to keep those things in mind and that was top of mind for me. And it was new for me. So I had no idea what I signed up for. Yeah. Boy, did I, did I really undershoot that one? <laughs> but I think we all do as uh, first time parents, but the, uh, it, it, that's really the difference. Mm-hmm. It was probably a lot easier for me given my, my wife really did all the hard work, but, <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure she'd appreciate you saying that, but that's, you know, I had a very supportive um, spouse as well. My husband was just very supportive and we didn't live by any family. So that was also another factor for us, which was a tough pill to swallow, you know, not having that support and having to figure that out. And that was a job in of itself just to figure out, you know, what you're going to do for daycare. <laughs> so that's a hard one. So you've, we talked a little bit about how you kind of made the move to follow your passion. It seems as well like you, you have been really good at seeing the future in the sense of like which technologies are going to be, you know, relevant as time goes on. Because as we all know in, in the tech field, things are constantly changing. So do you want to talk a little bit about how, how you are able to see that? And, and also maybe, and I, even I think I struggled with this at one point, you know, I was very focused on Marketo and you see other things coming about, um, but you kind of don't want to accept it sometimes. So maybe you can talk about how, not only how you see them, but then also how you adapt. Yeah, so this is this is a really interesting question because people have asked me, they're like, I swear you have like a crystal ball. Like you've been spot on with figuring out which direction to go with the different technologies. I don't think that's it. I think it was the way that I looked at it was I look at the foundation of a business and what is critical and what would never go away. So you think about that. Think about it and I'll do some analogies here right? You're always going to need a grocery store. You're always going to need a dentist. You're always going to need a doctor, right? And so start at that basic level of foundation and talk about business and what are you going to always need? You're always going to need salespeople and marketing people and operations, and you're going to need a database, right? And so anything that has to do with that database, that is a critical function that will always be there. And that technology is rooted in that is going to have a much higher rate of success and sticking around. Um, The longevity piece is the trickier part, though. The longevity is about hitting the market and being a first entrance into there, right? Just like, I mean, Marketo and Eloqua, I keep calling them that. I know it's Adobe and Oracle. It's hard to get around that. But for them, they were, you know, first big entrance into those spaces. And so you it's really hard when somebody makes it to a place before you do to catch up with them because they've already had all these lessons learned. So 
taking note of if there's a technology coming out, is it something that could be there for the long term because it's solving a problem that will always be there? So that's kind of how my approach is looking at what technologies to really look into and things that are a part of that foundation that the tools haven't picked up. So Salesforce, for example, has a very Apple-esque model where they have all the plug-in plays and there's stuff that they just have shied away from doing themselves. So, for example, when Tableau um, came onto the scene, it, w- it was no shock to me that Salesforce would purchase them. And I told people, I'm like, don't get too enwrapped in Einstein because you're going to be on Tableau pretty soon. Yeah. So, you know, it's just knowing those sorts of things where Salesforce was making its investments because they're such a foundational customer-facing tool that if they're making an investment into something, then it's going to be really hard for anybody else to kind of catch up with them because they've probably bought the best. And they have the capital to put in and invest more. Now, that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case all the time. When they do acquire something, sometimes they acquire just for, you know, intellectual property rights. But I think that when you're looking at that longevity, it really comes down to if it's a a core, it's, it's hooked into the core of what makes the business tick. And it's something that if you thought, you know, five years from now. So one that's a big question mark for me right now is ABM. How, you know, something that's specific ABM, how long will that be around? Because you've got bigger companies that will come in and do that and implement that into their own tools. So the smaller, you know, one-offs are probably not necessarily going to be there in five years. Well, what I think you said about Salesforce too, I think you nailed it in the fact that they don't try and do everything, right? They try and do what they're really good at, and then they let partners Mm -hmm. come in and fill any gaps that exists, right? And I, and I know, you know, the other, everyone's trying to emulate that kind of strategy because they've seen it work so well at Salesforce. Um, but, but yeah, the other thing that I think you were spot on about is just that, you know, if you had to ask, you know, a hundred companies, what's the one piece of technology that they need? You know, if they could only mm-hmm. have one, what would they, choose to to keep i think salesforce or or dynamics if they're on that would be probably that yes yeah right um every year salesforce bill gets higher and higher and we keep paying it because (laughs) (laughs) um so maybe talk to me a little bit more about just starting your own business. I think um, some of the listeners out there might be considering it. Like before you go out and start your own business, um, what do you think, you know, if you could go back, would you do anything differently? Uh, and, And maybe how were you successful starting your own business? It's a great question. It's it's fun to always do the look back on what works and what doesn't. And I think I had no idea what I was doing when I was getting started. It was, hey, I've got a client. Great. This is a you know full-time client gig. This is awesome. I'm going to go do it. And I made the jump. Now, looking back, would I have done that? No, I've gotten a little bit more strategic and I put a, probably would have laid some plans out and, and put some forecasting models in place just about, you know, when I'm bringing on new clients and the height of the season for hiring consultants and all those things, but they weren't anything that I missed that, 
that hurt me too much, right? I think those things like you can get into the analysis paralysis when you're getting started in consulting, but you usually will have a trigger event that gets you there. Um, and if you're intentionally deciding, you probably already have that trigger event. So um, I think the other piece of it that was so critical, and I would tell anybody this, and, and this will probably lead into a further conversation, is networking and how important networking and your reputation are. I never really thought about personal brand, and I still think about it sometimes, but it's not kind of what I lead with because I just, if, if I put too much into it, I feel like I'm, it becomes almost like braggadocio in a sense, and that's not who I am, and that, I don't think that resonates well with people, but that, but having a good reputation of you're nice to people, you do what you say you're going to do, your work quality is great, those things are very important, and you cannot misstep for a second. You can't, you know, you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so mad about this. And you cannot be reactive. You have to always remember to keep your head in check that when you're um, doing anything, that this is your reputation and um, your client is your reputation, right? How good that they end up is a direct reflection on you. And if you don't keep that top of mind, you may end up reacting to something in a negative way and you can't undo it. So it's very important to keep things ultra positive. And, you know, I've always been one to do more, um, you know, than the clients have been intended for me to do by first hitting their, their goal and their deadline and then going, okay, we're going to do this too. And like throw it on top. Right. Like I, I'm, people will say I melissitize things because I'm always putting a cherry on top of things. That's just kind of my, my MO on, on life in general. I want to be that person. I like the cherries. So um, yeah, I think that's a, an important piece of being successful is that your network and your reputation are so critical to keep well and alive. And that if you run into situations because it can, and it will happen at some point, I mean, I'm 17 years into this. Have I had some negative things? Yes, but I've made sure to turn stuff around as much as I can, right? And keeping a positive attitude and looking for the sunshine and the rain. You just you have to make sure to do that um, because you can't undo the negative. You can do as much positive as you want, but that negative will still always be there. Someone will remember it. So very important. And I think um, I've kind of run my companies in the same way, just like, focusing on the client and making sure they're super successful will make will in turn be your best marketing engine that you could never even pay to get that right so i'm assuming a right. lot of business over the years has come from referrals i would actually tell you that 100 percent of my business has been referrals i've never gone out and actively ask somebody for business that's been through referrals. And I think that um, that is a testament to how I treat people, how I treat clients, how I treat projects, um, making sure that, you know, closing the loop on things. And I think very importantly um, that when you do put the client first and you put that positive spin on everything first, it makes it a lot easier to just stay that course. Um, so coming in and never trying to never, never is a strong word, but never have a negative attitude about something yeah. is super important. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so true about, you know, inevitably you and your client may not be on the same page about something, but 
ending things well with the client is also very important because when you get you know one detractor out there it's almost you know it, it can hurt you more than 10 promoters so uh i do think you know making sure everyone is happy at the end of the day is a really critical factor to success um I can't even imagine running a business for 17 years. I'm super impressed that you've done that. Like, what? Did I survived? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, what is I'm the, still kicking. <laughs> what does the future of Navigate look like? And like, what are your, what are your goals with it? It's interesting the timing of this. Um, and I haven't even shared this with you. So you're just going to be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. So I am starting a spinoff um, of Navigate, which is more focused on the coaching and advisement. So, for example, like people um, coming in and there, there are other consultants that are doing this. And I think it's smart. I think where I'm at in my career, it's what I want to be doing as well of the mentoring and just, you know, legacy, right? Legacy is the most important thing for all of us because it makes sure this all, all this hard work and passion and blood, sweat and tears we put in everything stays around. So advisory from, you know, somebody who is trying to present to the board what are going to be the metrics that they should be thinking about, the way to up-level conversations. If you're a mid-level manager, you want to go into, you know, getting into a leadership role, what are the ways um, that you can up-level yourself pretty easily and how you're presenting information and, and how you're formulating the, um, the discussions that you're having and where um, where some of the, I like to call them the, the quicksand areas are to stay away from. So yeah. there's that sort of thing. And it's, it's the um, growth ops guru is what it's going to be called. So here and now it's my first announcement. Right. Uh, and then with navigate, I will still continue to do that, but more of a capacity of probably moving away towards that and bringing other people in to kind of run that. And so I've been working on making that happen as well. So I think um, outside of that, I've I just joined on as a Sendoso advisor, and so that's fun because one of the goals I have just in general over the next five years is is to move into some board roles um, at um, you know actively growing companies. So there's that on my list as well as really kicking off this organization um, that really started again in May, although the operations in the background on it have been going on um, for quite some time through MoCA, which has been around about 15 years. We're now rebranded as the Growth Ops community. And so I'm sitting as the president of um, this organization, which has been starting a company in and of itself, it feels like it's been, it's been great, but it's been way more work than any of us, I think, ever anticipated. Um, and so growing that and really creating this new market category of growth operations. So you're hearing, you know, the growth ops guru, and you've heard me say growth a couple of times in this conversation. And that's really kind of, you know, the things that I'll be doing over the next year, three years, five years, 10 years, probably. So <laughs> I have a long road ahead of me yet. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on starting you. your next gig. Um, I think... Yeah, I really like that idea. Um, I recently joined like a leadership mentorship group 
and NAC is part of Invest Ottawa, which um, is like a, a, like a software accelerator. Um, nice. Yeah, just getting, you know, just having a bunch of people where if you're not sure about something, you can ask them. It's just such an amazing right. thing to be able to tap into. And just accepting that you don't need to know everything. Um, and uh, Yeah, I guess the most important thing. You, you can't know everything. You're never going to know anything. And get that out of your head immediately that you ever will. Because it just that is one thing. Never will you know everything. Yeah. <laughs> and if you try you're just going to spin yourself and do a tailspin and wish that you just didn't do that to yourself. It's just, it's a self-defeating behavior for sure. Yeah. I, I think over the years uh, in my consulting days, the companies that really invested in like, you know, strategic consulting mentorship and help for their teams were definitely the highest growth companies that we ever worked with. So um Nice. I mean, now it's just getting to getting to kind of be on the other side of that mentorship. It's it's really great thing to have. Um, I one other question I have for you, just on the consulting side and navigate like, and I think we've noticed some of this on the revenue pulse side, but people are definitely more mature with these technologies than they used to be. Did you have you found any of that uh, in your consulting? Absolutely. I mean, even though you know you can be in it longer, there's also just the experience of touching different technologies that other people haven't touched. So there's so many. I mean, what we're at like close to six thousand different marketing technologies these days. So yeah. you think about that, and nobody has touched everything. So it is a. It isn't a you're going to know more than somebody else. You're going to know different. And I think that the difference in moving up in your career are more the soft skills and in how you present things and how you um, converse about things than it is exactly what you know. Cause no one, again, no one's going to know everything. And those soft skills are really where I see the difference where somebody is going to be able to make the jump. You know, I can look at somebody and I can see how they're interacting with people and say, that person will be in leadership and management. And I see other people and I'm like, those people, they need to work on these soft skills and they may not want to even do that, right? Yeah. A lot of people do. A lot of people are like, oh, I'd love to be a VP one day, right? But I mean, there is a specific path to take to get there as far as not necessarily the all that you know about the technology, but it's more of the soft skills and trying to get as much experience as you can and having mentors and champions. I think that you, you talking about the mentorship, that is something that I've, I've definitely really held on to from the very get go was finding those people that I could have those conversations with um, that would guide me and, and were honest with me and say, you need to do this too, because you're not doing that yet. Yeah. Um, and telling me like your strength is this, you may think it's this, but it's actually that right? And having those people kind of guide you. Um, I just wanted to do a quick plug-in for Women in Revenue because I, I do a mentoring program with them and they have a free mentoring program that lines people up with a formal mentorship program, which is a little bit different. I think, you know, getting involved in things um, like that for people who are a little earlier in their career, even mid-level. I mean, the person I'm mentoring 
um, is at director level, and she definitely has the chops to make it into um, a CMO role one day if she really wanted to, right? Like, and I don't think she's that far off from it. I think what it comes down to is just, you know, having a little bit of guidance. And there's some points that I'm not going to be able to give her the right guidance and I'll hook her up with somebody who can, right? I mean, you just have to know your own limitations when you're helping other people. And also try to recognize that too, when other people are helping you is that they have limitations as well. So. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, someone could get a mentor who can really see their potential and push them to their full potential because sometimes people don't see that themselves. Um, so yeah, I love it. I Absolutely. love board at Sendo, so that's a cool company that, uh, yeah, I, I think that's another one where like sending physical gifts to your customers mm-hmm. will always be something that people are gonna wanna do. And without software, like us right now, there's a lot of boxes around and we never know where anything is. I remember when right? we came into the uh, swag closet at Silence, that was, uh, you guys had some cool <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but pre-Sendoso days. Uh, yes, the pre-Sendoso days. And, and Chris over there, their CEO, really, really nice guy too. And and just talking with him, and this has been recently, right? It was last, I think, last week that that we got to chat, and I was super impressed by him. And he's a younger guy, and just like, how in the world? I mean, and he started doing things while in college. He's, he was just very entrepreneurial spirited. And so you see those things, and then you see like, wow, that person got this far that quickly. So it's really fun to see that too, because you don't see it happen very often, to see that um, people have just taken a completely different path. And they've had success very early on, you know, and, and that was not how it was for me, at least it, not in my mind it was, right? Other people, we all measure success differently. So I think that, you know, for me, I still don't feel like I've, I've hit my potential. I don't even think I'm, I'm even close at this point. I, I still have a lot of work to do and people go, you're crazy. Well, that's because I'm elicitized, right? <laughs> I'm the person who throws the party and has the entire like table landscape with the amazing charcuterie board with things and shapes. So um, that just kind of tells you the kind of person I am. Success so, well, hey, is, is a hard thing for me to hit. <laughs> it's uh, big dreams. They keep you, uh, keep you motivated. Um, yeah. So I wanted to shift a little bit into marketing. Um, and you know, like maybe you can just tell me, like, how do you view marketing in 2020? So there's a lot of changes that are happening. I'm, I'm fortunate to be, um, in a group, um, through Matt Hines and Latney Conant. And there's a whole bunch of people there and they're like just heavy hitters that are CMOs and in that space. And we keep talking about marketing and how it's different. And, and one not necessarily like trend that I think is taking off, but I've seen, and it seems very du jour, is that people are getting rid of their CMOs. And I think that's a big misstep. And I think that people um, have gotten behind that who realize, you know, what we need to get in front of it and getting in front of it is recategorizing, right? And so that's kind of my thought too with, with growth operations. So when we talk about marketing, it's about the market. So a lot of the rebranding I think we're going to see with the CMO is instead of being a chief marketing officer, it will be a chief market officer. 
and that the roles in uh, marketing won't necessarily change, but I think that there's going to be um, some shift in who they're going to be reporting into, right? So chief market officer, um, a CMO traditionally like had its own team. Um, I'm hearing a lot of customer success kind of taking on some of the marketing role as well, which is a great thing to have happen. But I think that's going to be a big shift for, for this year and, and the next coming years is that we're going to see customer success more a part of marketing um, than we ever have before, which is absolutely needs to happen. You know, I mean, I think of it and Pierce, you can attest to this. I'm sure you go into organizations, you ask like, Oh, where's your customer marketing department? They're like, there's two people <laughs> or there's doesn't exist at all. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, we forgot about this part of the customer journey. So I really think that we're going to see a lot more of customer focus come into marketing and it's going to be at the front end of the conversation and still the, instead of the back end of the conversation where it typically lives and that we're going to be leveraging more of that information than we ever have before um, to really create the best customer experience. And so the game sites that have been around, interestingly enough, I think that people just haven't tapped into that data set to really be able to take that and um, really operationalize it. So I think that's going to be big. And then the other thing too is with operations, I think that there's still not enough love for marketing operations. And I think um, a lot of that has to do with like, you know, you're the person behind the green curtain. I always like to do the uh, the green curtain with Wizard of Oz, one of my favorite movies. But it is, you're, you're the person behind the green curtain, all the stuff is happening in front and, and people don't realize that you're there. So it's, a, it's, it's not that you're invisible. Um, it's that you just don't get, you know, the, the banner calling that other people do. So um, I'm hoping that that starts to shift. And I think that as we see more tools come on, that we're going to see people who aren't in traditional operational only roles start to take on a little bit of marketing operations in their own roles. And I think that's already happening, but I think it's going to just continue to happen more and more because there's only so much that, you know, a marketing operations team is going to be able to manage because there are so many tools. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, because of Corona, maybe net new sales are slowing down a little bit for some people. And then, so it's like, yeah. how can you keep as many of your current customers on and, and really show them more love? Um, yeah, and the, it, it's interesting because the flip side of that is I think of Zoom, right? And talking with um, Zoom and, and listening to, so their head of sales ops, um, Hillary Healy, she's somebody to definitely follow. So she is head of sales ops for Zoom. And I've, I've heard her a couple of times, I'll come in and talk about what her world has been like. And, and there are so many learnings from that as well, because the things that you wouldn't think would be obstacles now have become obstacles. And a lot of them have been operationally speaking, because you haven't set up the foundation to the extent that you can really evolve and grow on that foundation. So that's another you know, flip side um, learning that is super interesting to watch. So definitely keep a pulse on that one. It's just blown my mind throughout this whole thing on the businesses that have blown up because of it. Like Zoom is not, that wasn't a big surprise for me, but like, like uh, bicycle repairs, as an example, I, I needed to get my bike fixed and they, you know, there's this like mobile guy 
who can come around and fix your bike. That guy, you couldn't get him to come to your house for like three months. He's booked solid. <laughs> so it's just... Yeah, the, it's interesting, the shift in demand, right? Like where the demand is now, where was it before COVID is it's like mind-blowing in some cases, right? Whoever would have thought lawn signs um, and balloon artists would be this popular because somebody can't have a birthday party, so they do the the balloons and the signs in the front of the yard. Like, who would have thought that, right? Yeah. I just rented an RV on the weekend because there's really no other travel options, and uh, it's pretty corona-friendly. So, again, and and the guy there told me, like, they have had the best year they ever have. So um, I've heard that repeatedly in campsites as well. Campsites, people have really been, oh, um, they, they're just sold out everywhere. Yeah. Um, what, in terms of marketing, what do you think is working well right now? I think as far as what's working well is that people have had to recraft their messaging to be much more, why should I care about this versus this is what we can do for you. I think that's been a big shift that I've seen even just, I, I mean, I'm on this, um, there's a group called Women in Email that's on Facebook, awesome group, take a look at it. Uh, th- I think there's like 6,000 plus people that are in it. And then they look at the, the best emails and everybody kind of talks about those practices and whatnot. I think that shift in general um, which goes along with my comment about the customer focus really taking front and center stage at the moment is probably the biggest shift that um, has been, it is the right shift, right? We should be thinking about why does this matter? What's the value to other people first? And it seems so simple, but when you're moving really fast and there's, you know, you're first to market and you're in a new technology space and Um, you don't have to think about that so much, right? Because you're new and you're coming into this. But I think that there's been a slowdown in new technologies coming out for obvious reasons. Um, And those obvious reasons being that people aren't willing to make the big investments right now, right? Although money is cheap. So they're making investments in different places like real estate. But for starting a business, this isn't necessarily the most popular time to do it. So Um, But coming back to like the customer comes first and the messaging being focused on that is the the thing I hope really sticks around after this is all over. Um, Hopefully it'll be over soon, but I doubt it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think it's a good time to start a business if you want to make like masks or protective equipment. Yes. (laughs) Like a mobile bike repair store or rent RVs. And lumber as well right now, even in Canada, where I think we have the most lumber of any country. You go to Home Depot, the shelves are totally empty because everyone's doing DIY stuff. So another thing that I would... Yeah, we were were at the beginning of a remodel um, as a result of having a, a pretty significant flood in our house at the beginning of COVID, like we had started before that. So it's been a a really interesting time because we weren't in our house. COVID hit. We had to move back into our house. We were between two houses in the construction zone. We were supposed to finish up by like March 1st. I don't think we finished till like May 1st. And we still have some paint that needs to be done. And, you know, it's so do it yourself is much better idea. (laughs) We're going to do those. 
and to take on what we did because we would never have done it if we knew this was going to happen. But, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen the video of the person telling the other person, like they couldn't tell them exactly what it was, but there was a woman talking to herself from, uh, you know, before this all hit, like giving a warning of, oh, yeah, don't think about this. And, oh, yeah, that doesn't going to happen. You're not going to be able to go to a concert. And the woman <laughs> looks at her like completely, herself, yeah. completely perplexed. And yeah. I mean, that, that like, compl- for me, that is absolutely what this year has been like. And so there's good things that have come out of it, though. You know, I mean, I love that I can go to my grocery store and pop open my trunk and somebody puts the groceries in it. It's amazing. Like, this is great. And the same thing, the other one I like, too, is that I can go and I can get margaritas to go. <laughs> That's pretty fun, too. So... <laughs> There are these things that um, have come from this that it's like, I really hope they don't go away. Um, homeschooling is another interesting one. You know, there's this huge thing for online classes and people just weren't really tuned into what was going on with that. And I think that's another thing is during this time, this is a fantastic time to take advantage of all the tools that are out there that are offering free training. You know, I know Marketo had done some stuff where they opened up, Pardot did, Tableau did. Um, I'm not so sure on Salesforce because a lot of the stuff is mostly, I mean, Trailhead is amazing. But yeah, there have been companies that have opened up for training. I think that's really important um, that, you know, if it's a slow time, great time to go out and get some new skill sets. And there's really so many places that there's no cost of doing it right now. So take advantage, you know? Yeah, yeah. What, What role do you think email plays right now as a marketing channel? Um, I think that it's been more important than it ever has. And I think that's why I've seen, um, you know, from my perspective, at least, uh, that the messaging is getting that much better. People are really thinking through, you know, what they're sending and, and when they're sending, because they're thinking about why they're sending. And so instead of just, you know, batch and blast, it's let's really think about this and, you know, really kind of take somebody on the journey versus just the batch and blast. And I know that sounds so basic, but man, it's been like that. I think also with email marketing too, is that since people aren't doing things in person, we're all having uh, an exhaustion from, you know, the online meetings and the emails. And so, you know, I see a lot more going on by the likes of people having podcasts and people doing blogs and, and I think that's all really good stuff because we are limited on the human interaction. So email, I don't think will ever go away. Um, it's kind of like they've been trying to get rid of snail mail for how many years now? I mean, I heard 10 years ago, we wouldn't have snail mail today. So we still have plenty of it. <laughs> um, so it's so, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the thing is email is not going away. You know, keep doing a better job on your messaging and really being thoughtful on how you're um, structuring your messaging. Keep it consistent. Think about the big picture of marketing in a, in a theme of, you know, what you're going after. And yes, you can try out different themes, but, you know, like serious decisions and their whole demand gen waterfall and just the way they structure things with customer journey, um, that hasn't changed in years. And there's a reason. It's great stuff and it really makes sense. And what I'm saying is, is, simply what I had learned plus demand gen, uh, using, seeing that demand gen waterfall and what they were doing with messaging throughout the customer journey, that just won't go away. It's foundational, just like anything. And that's the thing. Email is a foundational tool. So I think that uh, we see a lot more of it right now because how, how we're communicating is limited. But um, 
I think that over time, people will realize that you don't need to email somebody three times a week to get their attention. You know, come in with something that makes matters to them and, and people are going to click and, and interact. For sure. For sure. A couple of rapid fire uh, questions here to kind of wrap things up. Um, what do you do for fun, Melissa? <laughs> well, let's see. It's changed uh, depending on what I've got going on. I recently adopted a dog and so love her to pieces and there's a lot of training going on. So that's fun. Um, when I, when we didn't have COVID, I hosted a lot of parties and I was doing charcuterie boards, like some pretty crazy ones, um, pretty over the top. So those are things I like to do. And I love photography. Um, I coach cheerleading. Um, my daughter is on my squad, but we're on hold right now and just actively involved in our community and working on some, um, stuff with a group of people to get, you know, some regulations on e-bikes in the area for safety reasons. And, like I said, I have my hands on a lot of different yeah. things. There's right. never a dull moment in my world, that's for mm-hmm. sure. And and um, people go, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. I'm like, the problem is you're trying. Just don't. I know I'm like just I I'm the anomaly in the world. Like I just am not normal. So, and well, I embrace that. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward for these travel restrictions to be over because it sounds like I need to try one of these uh, charcuterie boards. Um, that and you need to come out and check out the surf because we have some of the best surf here in San Clemente. So, yeah. and uh, yeah, and then we get everybody together that's down here for some think tanks would be awesome. So I think that would be great. Um, I'll bring a charcuterie board for that. <laughs> what's one thing people might not know about you? Um, that I am extremely introverted. Um, people immediately think that, oh my gosh, you're so outgoing, you're so high energy. And I'm like, that energy comes from anxiety. And if I don't get to go back in my turtle shell and, and like hibernate, um, I have a really, really hard time. So it's interesting that um, people immediately say there's no way. There's absolutely no way. I'm like, listen, my weekends, I'm like happy to just stay holed up in my house. Like actually COVID hasn't been that difficult for me, um, staying in. The thing is, is that everybody else is staying in with me. So everybody else is at my office because I work from home. That's been the challenge. It hasn't been being home. It's been that everybody else is here yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I can't have my turtle time as I like to call it. <laughs> well, I've known you for a long time and I didn't know that. So, uh, mm-hmm. who is one person that you admire in the business community and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, it varies. I would say uh, at the moment who I just am really having like a professional crush on is Latney Conant. Um, she just has, she has ener- like we have similar energy. And so it's, it's fun to see somebody else navigating with that level of energy because there's not very many of us that people are like, yeah, they're crazy, right? <laughs> um, and she just just has it down, right? She has down what works for her, what her recipe is for her personal brand. And she is just an exceptional marketer. Um, and she's a good person to, to boot. So her leading these um, CMO coffee talks, they have like 75, 80, you know, marketing leaders on there. I mean, big names and stuff as well. So it's very uh, impressive to say the least. And she just goes along like it's all really easy for her, you know, and I'm sure it's not. But um, yeah, I have continued to watch her and just, you know, love seeing what she's doing um, because she is not 
cut from the same cloth and I'm not cut from the same cloth as other people. So I think that's, that's why I gravitate towards her. Nice. Um, and just to wrap things up here, what's, what's one piece of career advice that you could share that, that you think might help others? I think knowing when you need to ask for help um, and asking for that help, I think is so critical because there is nothing wrong with saying that you don't know how to do something or you don't understand something. I think that um, it's just an important thing that you advocate for yourself um, and asking others for help is the number one way to do that. Right on. There it is. Um, well, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I've really enjoyed, you know, just hearing about your career path, how you made the leap to, uh, to move across the country, start your own business and, and continue to be involved in a million different things. Um, so <laughs> yeah. for your time, Melissa, it's always great to chat and thanks for being on the podcast today. Pierce, it's always a pleasure. Um, best of luck to you always. You're such a fascinating, awesome person. And I really, uh, it's such a joy to, to um, have known you this long and, and to keep on knowing you. So thank you. Likewise. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Unsubscribed, a podcast created by Knack. If you enjoyed this episode of Unsubscribed, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any feedback or want to chat, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at marketing underscore 101. Cheers.